What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we talk all culturally relevant soccer topics happening off of the pitch, so we don't cover anything actually happening on it. I'm Alan, and I'm here with Brendan and Louie, and this week we talk Seattle Sounders. The Seattle Sounders have been one of the MLS's most well-supported clubs throughout all the years that they've been involved in the MLS. Seattle's fan base has taken the MLS by storm. They show up to games in masses, over 40,000 people per game in a fan base that's almost unmatched in the MLS. We wanted to get deeper, find out why the Seattle Sounders have been so successful, not only on the pitch, but off of it, and why their fan base has been so amazing and crucial to the growth of the team. So guys, if at any point during this podcast you have a question or comment on the Seattle's fan base, make sure you leave a comment in the comment section if you're watching it in video format. If you are listening to it via podcast, Make sure that you send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, hatred, trolling, whatever it may be. And as always, make sure you're sharing this podcast with your friends, family, anyone you think would enjoy listening to the podcast. And before we get into the podcast, pause, go leave us that five-star review, and leave us a lovely comment. Be sure to follow the Culture FC Instagram, at culturef.c. A lot of behind-the-scenes footage, pictures, quotes, funny things that you may not get to see or here during the podcast. We'll post them there, so make sure you follow us there. And now that you've met all of our demands, make sure you unpause the podcast, and let's get into the episode. So what's up, guys? This week, we are talking about Seattle, Seattle Sounders. So when we did the episode on Atlanta and we were putting it out on the internet and everything, we actually got a lot of hate from people saying like, oh my God, these people talking about Atlanta, they're like brand new club. They have like blah, 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 blah. And they were just giving you, we were were getting a lot of internet animosity. And so a lot of, we're getting trolled left and right on Facebook. Uh, but if you're not, YouTube. you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Reddit was some really valid, mean. Some valid trolling, though. Some valid trolling, of course. Which so we, we always appreciate. Yeah. And so we realized that, you know, we needed to give a shout out and really spotlight one of the, like, OG supported clubs in the MLS. And so let's get right into it. And the reason why we wanted to talk about Seattle Sounders is because they were really the first big club to show that soccer had a future and a viability in the U.S. based on its average attendance, based on just a little bit of everything and its insanity. Um, you know, they have averaged, since they entered the league, they have led the league in average attendance every single year, except for last year where Atlanta actually eclipsed them in average attendance record. So Seattle's average attendance in 2017 was 43,666. Atlanta's, in comparison, had Atlanta had 48,200 people at every single game, yeah. which is, you know, it's close, so it's not like it's insane. The, a little the skewed because of the Atlanta played um, in a small stadium. Right, some true. Stuff, so we'll, uh, it'd be good to see what happens in 2018 with yeah. both of these clubs. But it was it's incredible, though, that from the day they entered the league, for nine years in a row, they were able to lead the league. So that, I mean, you know, you have the Galaxy that were not, that didn't even get close to their numbers. You have other clubs that don't, didn't get close to their numbers. Of course, I understand that a lot of these soccer-specific stadiums don't fit that many, but still, it's, yeah. it's absurd to see that you know, in America, you have a club that is so wholeheartedly supported yeah. by its location, by its fans. And so, you know, that's why we wanted to... It's a, a part of why we got trolled a little bit, too, because we kind of used a little clickbaity title, um, obviously, for the for the podcast and for the, the YouTube, saying that Atlanta had the best support 
and people were saying, well, they've only had the best support for a year. Why don't you guys look at a club that has had sustained fandom and support, which is completely a, like valid valid point from anyone that's going to make, so. a, make a thing. So <laughs> insert Seattle Sounders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so we can get into it and start talking about kind of uh, Seattle and, and what they are. Yeah. So basically, um, when while doing research on this, one of the some of the big reasons that kind of just came out at face value was that. You know, overall, team's been very good since they've entered the MLS. They've won four U.S. Open Cups, made it to a couple of MLS uh, finals, and won an MLS final. Um, you know, even the closest, the last time last year, they played Toronto for the final of the MLS and ended up losing, but that's two finals in a row that they were in. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like they're a very good team, so they should be well-supported. Um, and the ticket prices are cheap, relatively speaking, and someone I, I saw said that because Seattle lost its basketball team, the Supersonics, uh, in 2008, which was the season, the year before the Seattle Sounders entered the MLS, it had like a gap of sports yeah. that needed to be filled. But that didn't satisfy me in my research because all of those do point to it being well supported. But that doesn't mean that they should be putting in 40,000 yeah. people in a state. A, no lot of, a lot of cities in the U.S. are kind of in the same situation where they don't necessarily have a lot of successful sports clubs, um, but they also don't have a successful soccer team. So. That it's valid to want to kind of de- dig deeper and see, okay, what's, what's the real reason why Seattle is, is so well-supported? Right. And so, uh, basically, we kind of, the first big, big reason that Seattle is so, that seems that Seattle is so well-supported is because out of all MLS clubs, out of a very large majority of MLS clubs currently, or even American soccer clubs, they are one of the very few to actually have history. And as we've spoken about in this podcast a little bit, we talk about how history is so important to a soccer club and so important to the culture of a soccer club that, you know, it was back in that episode we were talking about our fan stories about how, you know, like I'll, I sat and read like, you know, volumes of like the history of Manchester United and all this. But it's those kind of things that, you know, history shapes what you can talk shit about, what you can, right. you know, things of that nature. And so... When you have a lot of brand new MLS clubs who have only been around for, you know, the league's only been around for 20 years, 20-so-ish years, it's hard for you to have that much history within 20 yeah. years, especially if your club was a was a new club that joined in, like, the 2000s, so it's only been around for 10 years. Right. But that's not the case with Seattle. They, the, the original Sounders were created in 1974, which is a pretty long time ago. You know, that's almost 45-ish. That's almost... I'm really bad at math, so it's a little bit over 40 years. Um, (laughs) And so they have been around in one shape, form, or another since that time. Um, And even back in the original days in the 70s, they were playing in in stadiums, in several different stadiums, that they were still filling up. There was a stadium that they originally played in uh, that the capacity was 13,000, which is a pretty good size amount for any U.S. sports uh, event in general. And they were having, you know, 12,000 people come to their opening match. Yep. And they actually won up that. In 1976, there was a game between the New York Cosmos and the Seattle Sounders. And they filled the Kingdom, which was the, the later their, their stadium. Um, they filled it with 58,000 people in 1976. Which cool. is fat. Yeah. Just, Dude. Just considering that many people that year, 1976, yeah. in the United States watching soccer, like... The, the first real big memories of soccer I have is, like, the World Cup we held. Yeah. But, like, prior to yeah. that, I didn't think there was much else. Yeah. But having 58,000 fans at a game, a Nassau game, nonetheless. Yeah. Because yeah. the MLS hadn't formed yet, right? 
Right. Right. No, so, that that's a a ridiculous number. <laughs> like, if looking at all the things that B was talking about, and it's funny because at that time, soccer wasn't anything near what it is now, and even now, it's like not it's not hit its peak, but. Soccer back then was something that you just played until you were eight, until you basically could start playing Pop Warner or some other sport, right? So, well, I mean, that number compares to NFL attendance, right? Especially in '74 when the NFL was by far, I think, I think baseball was actually the most popular sport in the '70s or something like that. But either way, like the NFL was the only league that could field that many people in a stadium anyway. Hmm. But fifty-eight thousand people is more than what some places have fill up their stadium. The Rams, the yeah. LA Rams, do not have fifty-eight thousand people watching yeah. football games. If you look at photos and videos from their inaugural season in L.A., the stadium wouldn't fill up. Yeah. They'd have, like, 20,000 people at the game. Yeah. So for a soccer team in America in the 70s to fill up a stadium with 58,000 people, absurd. Yeah. I think putting it, if I, to compare it to something in today's modern age, it would almost be like, a, honestly, an ultimate Frisbee match having that many people <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Like that's what soccer was back then. It was just um, It was just almost like a pastime. It wasn't something that people took seriously so that's for anyone that wants to put that into modern age i'd say probably ultimate frisbee that's probably the best comparison <laughs> that you pulled up that's amazing i don't know where you came up you with that, that but i am playing ultimate frisbee. so happy that you I did just that's think amazing. Of a sport that was random no that's that's perfect i <laughs> yeah. love it um unfortunately it didn't last too long because nassau folded in 1983 so that i don't know what the reasons were that the nassau folded at the time but you know the Seattle Sounders ended up they, they someone revived the name in like indoor soccer in between 1983 and 1994 but then another uh, team came and was created in 94 which I will I will call the semi-modern Sounders were created in 94 and they played in the USL and all these other leagues that were basically equivalent to second third fourth division leagues and these nine these semi-modern Sounders they lasted all the way until 2009 when the same ownership group had a team put into the MLS. So in reality, they just kind of, quote-unquote, promoted this team into the MLS in 2009. So the current Sounders have actually technically existed since 94, which is about the same time as the league, but it still goes back to 1983, or I'm sorry, 1974, uh, their whole history. And I thought that, you know, history is so important, like I said, to the culture of a club that i was reading accounts of people who what the actual the guy who owns them now he revived them in 94 because he used to go to games in the 70s when he was a kid and fell right. in love with the sport because right. of the sounders i think it's also important to note that it's it's good for fans to kind of kind of get stuck into the history like it's really cool to look back but also it's important in terms of history it just shows that the club was always present there so they always had it's almost like their marketing was really good because it, if you were always knew that the, the Sounders were there, it, over time it kind of gives that sustainability to to just the name of it alone, right? So people knew who they were as a even if as as a, as a name, um, that helps people better connect to it without even having to really understand any history. It's easier to to connect with something that you know has kind of been there for a while. Right, so it got like it's like the name as if it got entrenched right. in the people and right. the way they spoke. It got entrenched in the people right. of Seattle right. and in the like essence of Seattle, which I'm actually going to come back to later before the next big topic. But because they've been around for so long, the reason why history is important is because one of the reasons why history for a club is important is that 
you cultivate rivalry. Yeah. And the Sounders have had a rivalry with both the Portland Timbers and the Vancouver Whitecaps, which are now currently all three teams in the MLS, which al- has allowed them to continue their rivalry through the decades. But this is like one of the only... I was actually surprised when I read how far back this rivalry went. This goes back to 1974, the original Nassau days, where all these all three teams were original Nassau teams. Yeah. So I found it fascinating that the Seattle Sounders were able to cultivate this culture based on this rivalry, right? These are games that the teams could be, no matter where they are in the standings, they could play each other, and that's a big match. And that's how it is in other parts of the world. You have, you know... Look at how important these dates are when you're talking about the conversation about soccer around the world, like El Clasico. You'll sit down. I remember when I was like 16, like I didn't give a shit about either Real Madrid or Barcelona, but you'd watch it because you're like, ooh, this is a really big game. To this day, I still do, you know. At the same time, Manchester United versus Liverpool, every time, no matter who, no matter where they are in the standings. I remember back when United had that shit season where we finished, what, seventh or sixth or whatever it was, and Liverpool didn't do that great that year either, but... It was just that game still mattered so right. much. Right. Um, I well, can give you the, other examples. It's the one up of the fans that you get to beat this rival of yours. And the the funny thing that, especially in soccer, is that uh, hatred really brings people together. So <laughs> it's weird. this one group of people hating another group of people, it really makes you band together and um, almost join forces and, and kind of hate this other group of people, which, for again, for the history of, of the Sounders, if they've had that for so long, it builds that hate. It builds that that passion towards hating the other the other teams, which is fantastic for for yeah. any fan base that's trying to grow. And even potential fans too. It right. shows that they have a solid foundation right. in which they have history. Right. Their name has always stayed the same to some right. degree. They've never strayed too far right. away from the path. They never moved different states and they have this bitter rivalry right. which shows that like, yo, we yeah. care about this right. and this other team, we've been battling them for so long, yeah. like you better care about right. it too. And, and rivalry games are good too because they, they're usually the most hyped up events, and you can get new fans through these events. So some, yeah. some, some, someone may not know anything about the Sounders. They go to a bar the day that there's a rivalry game, and they see this commotion, this crazy heat, this passion for for this club. And maybe from then they're like, "Wow, this is something that I could really get behind and start trying to understand." And then you know that that passion starts to to build. So. Definitely, I think rivalry and, and them having the, that competition with other teams has helped them um, gain the fans that they've had. For sure. And I, I, it was so cool because the fans actually, they essentially, in a weird way, formalized this competition between the three teams. Which, you know, what's funny with to, what is funny to me about their rivalry between uh, the Sounders, the Timbers, and the Whitecaps is that. It's a rivalry of three teams versus usually a rivalry of two teams. And these three teams compete for something called the Cascadia Cup, which is a fan-run and owned officialized cup that they actually formalized a little while back. But it was originally it was just like they would call it the Cascadia Cup because of, I think it's like the Cascadia region? I don't necessarily know. Yeah, the corner of America slash Canada. And so, I don't know, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, comment below, tell me I'm stupid um, (laughs) and what it actually is. But basically... They were already competing for this Cascadia Cup back in 74. And essentially, they've been able to keep up the Cascadia Cup every single year since then, even without them being in the MLS, even them being in different uh, divisions or different uh, leagues, technically. But they were able to keep it going. And it's really unique to me that it's these three teams that have really always been battling for this one trophy, to the point that then the fans went and got a real trophy made. And now there's an actual trophy that's awarded 
the way it works, they basically play a little mini league within the league every year. So they'll play each other a total of each team plays each other three times. So then at the end of it, it's like whoever has the most points gets the Cascadia Cup, yeah. and it's cool because they're all within the MLS. So it already yeah. they're already gonna play each other no matter what. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just just thinking about some of these other derbies in the well, it's cool because this is like completely removed from having any corporate powers behind yeah. it. It's completely, completely run by fans, which goes into kind of how fans play a role with the club, not just being fans. They're, they're more than just the fans, right? They have the ability to do things like this. That's something that's pretty unheard of. I, I When I heard about this Cascadic, I don't know many other yeah, none, fan none bases in mind. the world that have that power or have had that privilege to, to be able to... <laughs> make a tournament yeah establish your own tournament in a league that you don't i was trying to think of that i was trying to think of something that even remotely resembled and i just can't so that is i mean that is um, something amazing that would be like if like i don't know manchester united leeds and liverpool had created a mini league in england and have been playing it for 50 years 40 years it's amazing that it still remains because with all the corporate greed and power whatever it may be it's something that's still completely run by by fans and it's it's amazing it's, I, it, it's such a cool idea because you would think that like there's must be some company out right. there like right, right. microsoft or pulling, dell computers yeah, wanting to the slap their right. logo right, right in front of the cascadia right. cup but they've done a, they've just said no this yeah. is fan run fan owned y'all can fuck off yeah which is pretty great yeah um yeah. it really makes the fans feel powerful and right. it, it may, it, there's a sense of connect like connection there um that that's un- I mean unheard of I think. Right, and I mean if you just any video you see on on YouTube about like the Portland Timbers versus the Seattle Sounders, uh, one funny video that I was watching is that there's a bar that's right down the street from the Portland Timbers uh, stadium, and these Seattle Sounders guys were trying to get into the bar because they're like, oh, we're trying to watch some pregame stuff before we go to the thing, or try to go to the uh, watch the game. Yep. The g- bouncer goes. No, you can't come in. The guy's wearing Seattle jerseys, and the guy goes, "No, you can't come in." And the dude was so dumbfounded. He's like, "Because it's America." He yeah, was right. not imagining this ever happening. Right. And he's like, well, "Are you serious?" Yeah. And he goes, "The guy dead face goes, yeah, no, you can't come in.'" Yeah. And he literally, the Portland Timbers bouncer guy was like, "No, nah, you can't come in." Yeah. And they like, you can physically like, I've never been to the Northwest of yeah. America, but like, I want to go and everything. But now, so I can't see this from my personal perspective, but seeing it on YouTube, yeah, pretty much like. Yeah. So it's like yeah. I'm basically there yeah. with them. I thought it was so crazy that it was just like, yeah, you cannot come into a yeah. bar. Yeah, it's different. It's different culture than what we regularly see in sports. I mean, normally, you Pats game, you can go into any bar that they're the city that they're playing at, get in there, watch yeah. the game, maybe yell a few things at some other fans, but nothing ever gets really that. Like you might yeah. yell something stupid and get your ass beat if <laughs> yeah. you go into like a random yeah. team's bar, but they're not going to stop you from going yeah, in. Yeah, going. Yeah, that's your own fault yeah. for trying to go yeah. in, like, and right. not expecting yeah. to get heckled. Yeah. Um, so I found that really cool, which is one of those things that maybe I was very ignorant because we're Revs fans, and I don't really think their Revs have any rivalry with anybody because I don't know. Couldn't tell rides. you, but um, basically, or the weir very lightly, uh, lightly. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, very lightly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, maybe I was very ignorant in this. I never thought that fan culture could get to this point. Yeah. In, in American soccer, and I think it's crazy. I yeah. think it's awesome. Like you know, having a common enemy to hate really does bring people together. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I think back to your point, which which you're talking a lot about how the fans really it it showcases that this is their club too that's one of the things that the seattle sounders ownership group really understood from the beginning they were like they understand that for soccer 
fans don't you're not a fan of a team. You're not the same way that you're a fan of the Knicks. Right. You go to Madison Square Garden, you are a fan of the Knicks. You sit there and you watch the games. You don't participate. You are an observant in an event that occurs. We understand as soccer fans that you don't observe a soccer game. You live a soccer right. game. You 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 are there at the stadium. You are present for an event. You are the you're actually you are very much the team. You are yeah. very much yeah. the team. You are not a I am watching. You right. are a we are participating right. in this whole thing. Yeah, we are helping our team right. to right. hopefully win with the amount of right. excitement. Yeah, we bring cheer. To yeah. <laughs> and this is very different than American sports culture where it's there's a corporation with a team that wants to sell you a bunch of stuff. And basically the team is less in American sports. The team is just a vehicle to sell you shit. I know that sounds bad, but in a weird way, kind of. You know, it's run in a corporate setting and, and you know, sure, the players And that's not to say that it's all just America's... I mean, this is happening to world football team. A lot of, I mean, a lot of teams are falling victim to this, whether being owned by foreign manager or foreign ownership. But we're seeing this happen a lot in the world of football and not many clubs like Seattle actually involve fans um, so that it isn't just a corporate money, money grab, right? Right. And so, you know... It's really cool that from the very beginning, the Seattle Sounders were like, look, you guys are fans. This team has been around for a really long time. It's not like we're trying to cultivate new fans. You guys have been here. You've supported this team for some of you since the 70s. It's like originally when they got awarded the MLS uh, team, they were thinking about changing the name. And they had three options and then the write-in option. And they sent it out via a, I think it was the newspaper or whatever sort Mm -hmm. form of media they used in 2008. Um, (laughs) Email list. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but out of their three options, they I think the total they one of the things I read was they had a total of fifteen thousand people respond. Twelve thousand people wrote in Seattle Sounders, yeah. which wasn't actually really an option they were considering. So then they looked at it and went, "Okay, well we're not going to fuck with your team. Like clearly you yeah. guys wanted yeah. this name Majority so was. bad that we're going to keep it." Right. Um, and so I found that amazing. You know, they were like, oh, maybe we should be something corporate. Maybe we should adopt uh, the regular MLS standard and name something yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But they were like, you know what? No, like, let's give the fans the power to name it and go from there. Right. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the first step in in the management, um, corporate management, in, in seeing that the, f- the fans aren't just the fans. And it was really smart on their part to, to not just take that corporate step and, and really allowing the fans from that point on to take part part ownership of of the club and really being involved with the club because that's i mean you have someone that's invested into the club they're going to be really invested and show up to the games and support the, their club because it's something that they are um really really in love with and they're investing their time in, into taking taking care of and taking care for so I think that from a management perspective, corporate corporate management, that was, I mean, genius. And it's, a, again, another unheard of step in American sports. And then that whole, the, the Alliance Council that they formed as well, the management, another great step, uh, having the 60 super fans be elected in by the season ticket holders yeah. to hold quarterly meetings on how well everything's going, yeah. hear concerns and everything. So that just shows that, even more so than keeping the name, they have these 60 super fans yeah. who are die hard, who probably have the best 
view of what needs to change yeah. and they actually have the opportunity to speak but they're to not management. just and it's not just like a meeting where they get to voice their concerns they actually have the ability to vote out the gm of yeah. the or the, yeah. the president of the team every yeah. four years yep which that in american sports that is not yeah. a concept that would ever enter anybody's yeah. mind right you know this is democracy in sports democracy yeah, right? in sports. this is capitalism <laughs> right? exactly and yeah. so we it's awesome that and very they few clubs in the world have that right some I, of the I spanish clubs barcelona do. real madrid there barcelona. have to be a lot of your like lower league guys probably yeah i mean there's there's definitely some smaller ones but those are the clubs that we often often see like these are really well supported clubs and have passionate fans that go up to every games um so that's that's uh, again smart move on so and the fact that they didn't just brush this council off and was like oh whatever good for you guys make you have your meetings do your thing we're not going to listen to you they actually took it in and was like, you know what, this is now going to be a part of how we run this team. And so they make it a super big effort to include everybody who wants to be a part of their club, which is very different. Like I said, in majority of American sports, the club is this thing that the club only encapsulates the people who play for the team, the staff, and then like the arena people. They don't really consider the fans. No, and I honestly never even considered myself... In most sports events that I go to, even if I consider myself a Red Sox fan or Bruins fan, I go to the game not thinking I'm really yeah. too involved with this sport or right. even the team itself. Just it's well, it's it's funny because even like when I talk about soccer, and sometimes I talk about it with people that don't necessarily understand the sport. If you you get caught and it's saying, "Well, we have a game tomorrow," or yeah. "We have," and they and people would be like, "We like, what are you trying on to make making fun." From a soccer perspective and a soccer fan, we understand that yeah, we're the we. It's not. It's not the Pats are playing now or the the Celtics are playing. It's we are playing. I need to be there to support yeah. the club very because I am a I'm I am a part of the club, and that's I mean, Seattle was revolutionary in having that, in in making that alliance with the fans, and the, I think that's the first instance in American sports where. The fans became the we, and it wasn't just the the I or the us. Right. Which is really, really cool. I think that one of the smartest things that the corporate, like the management structure did was not try to force things onto the club, like onto the fans. They They didn't really organize these, like, how should I say it? They basically didn't try to force anything upon them to try and, like, make them be fans they essentially allowed the fans to do what they wanted to do as fans and supported it like for example there's a there's a march that happens every seattle home game about 90 minutes or about 90 minutes to an hour before the game starts everybody meets up in one area of seattle they all get together to start singing and they march all together to the stadium you know this these were fans who came together and decided to do it themselves and then this the club and the staff actually got behind them and were like yes i'm so happy you guys are doing this you know they allowed the fans to create the tifos and they allowed the fans to basically cultivate and mold the club in their what they imagine it to be in their heads right you know and so that's amazing i think that is something that is is very very unique to not just soccer clubs but to any american sport club and you th- try to put it into perspective with that kind of march. Like, you ever think of like going to like a revolution game or even any sporting game? Just like, yo, I'm actually gonna head to the match 90 minutes early yeah. to march with my fellow yeah. fans yeah. and get hyped up. Yeah, it, but in America sports, it's more of just like tailgating a football game. Right? It's, but then again, it's you're still with just the people in your car. 
the people that you, your yeah. friends that you go with, and it's not this unified. And you might high five the guy yeah, next to you, but you're not marching with yeah, him. Yeah, no, no one's gonna make a big mosh pit. You I prefer empty seats next to me anyway. Right. Put my jacket. Down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think that this kind of transitions to a, kind of the what this means, right, for soccer, and it's the cultural aspect of Seattle Sounders and and the fans. And what you're saying, Louis, of, of them not forcing anything and letting them and letting the, the fans create their own culture. And we see this because Seattle has amazing TIFOs and artwork that goes up. The them establishing that they their own march by themselves, them taking into account because they own a part of this club, because they really feel in, in, endowed in the club, they're they're taking the responsibilities of creating that they're doing their part in creating the atmosphere that makes their home field so intimidating to go to and makes their 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 fan base un, unmatched almost in a sense right because it's they were the first ones to kind of in my mind when i started seeing mls blowing up and seeing the sounders come in they were the first ones that were like holy shit like the mls has a chance like american soccer has a chance yeah and that, and I think a lot of the successful clubs nowadays with really well-established fan bases kind of mimic a lot of what they do, just it, allowing fans. I mean, I think Atlanta, you're seeing now a lot of this freedom to let fans do what they do. But I mean, Seattle is kind of the the groundbreaker on this, right? To let the fans do this because the fans can actually do a really good job at it. I think what you said about the fact that the, fan, the your line of saying the fans did their part, it, it just shows that. For you to have a good atmosphere, you have to have, a, of course, you have to have a good product on the field, but at the same time, the fans have to create a good atmosphere. And so those are two parts of the equation that really make going to a soccer game that much, like, that's why it's worth it, right? And so I think that by the club not trying to cultivate that by its, on itself or try to force on a, a crappy job about it, I think makes it so much better, um, you know, having it come up organically. Yeah, the big, the grass, it, it really shows this effort to put forth a grassroots movement. Right. And it, it erases all uh, capitalistic gains almost from from these fans and it almost frees them of like yeah. putting money towards this team that they love, but right. they're not going to see anything back. But the fact that they do see it's something back. It's more of a holistic growth. It, I mean, the I'm sure the owners are happy. It's funny because I'm sure the ownership doesn't have to put as much money in, into marketing the club, right? As they, as some other club may need to, because the fans do that. The fans that are part of a part of the club are doing that for them, right? The best advertisement is word of mouth. It's person to person advertisement, right? And so, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you tell a couple people about <laughs> this podcast. Ooh, that's fun. And that way, well, we, the best kind of marketing can allow to be allowed to happen. I like um, that. Really <laughs> really but no, like you said, I think that. All of that is really great. All of it is makes for a really great experience. But why did it happen in Seattle? I think that's really the big question of all of these things are amazing, but none of these things are geographically limiting, right? right? All of this can happen in pretty much anywhere. Yeah. So why is it that in a major American city, this was able to happen, right? Um, one of the re- the biggest reasons that I've seen on, uh, through my research and through listening to people's interviews and things like that on, on, on YouTube is that Seattle's a very counterculture city. It's not your, you know, it's not New York. It's not Boston. It's not whatever other big city. It's not LA. 
and it's always been kind of going against the grain of American culture. And they were always like, nah, we can do our own thing. We're going to be hipsters before hipsters were cool. And we're going to drink coffee a lot. And, you know, all this stuff. Wow, those are really bad uh, things I just said. Oh, well. Um, but, and so what's the most un-American thing you can think of? For a really long time, it was soccer. Soccer was super un-American. You yeah. had people openly trashing anybody who said anything about soccer yeah. for a, a really long amount of time. I remember almost feeling embarrassed that like my family would watch soccer as a kid because I'm like, oh shit, no one else does this, and mm-hmm. then then I didn't realize that the whole world does, and it's just like in our little microcosm, yeah. there are a couple people. Even playing sometimes, growing up playing, it's just yeah. like, all you play is soccer. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's man. Like, oh, didn't I, I remember? <laughs> hey, man, I don't play pop water. Yeah, <laughs> I played. I played soccer when I was a little kid. Like I played up until like fifth, sixth grade, and then I stopped. It's like, oh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that it, it's really cool because out of all. The, the cities in America, the fact that it happened in Seattle, once you pair the two things together, kind of makes sense. Right. You know what I mean? You're like, pretty counterculture city. You guys like to do your own thing, ride your own wave, which is awesome. And then something comes out that's like very anti-American and people will latch onto it. And right. I thought that right there is probably one of the biggest reasons why it latched on geographically in, in Seattle, right? right. Um, it also happened in Portland, but they're also really close. And the same kind of thing with Vancouver, they're relatively right. close as well. That little triangle there. I don't know if I did. Counterculture belt. <laughs> <laughs> Are we christening that area the counterculture belt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I thought that was really, really cool because it basically all of these things came together and created a perfect storm that then allowed by far one of the best supported clubs in the MLS to happen the way that it did um so if you could say one major reason why you think they're the biggest like one of the biggest clubs what would you say that reason was honestly i think that that point is probably it i I mean it just it it just works out way too perfectly because i mean seattle in terms of demographic and if you look at it just as a city it's not i mean it's it's different but there are other places in the u.s where soccer could work but they haven't so there has to be some type of underlying kind of cultural reason to the people that live there as to why this would happen. So I can't, I, again, I'm not from there and I haven't been, unfortunately, but to me, that would be it kind of like, that's the hipster movement. Like we're going to play the sport that really is, is for girls. That's what it was seen at, at the time. And, and we're going to play the sport that people don't really give a shit about. Cause yeah, I mean, if you look at other cities that kind of can match to them in terms of demographic, haven't been successful i mean why doesn't soccer work here necessarily we don't know but i think that that's probably the biggest reason why okay i mean i personally think that i would actually i'd cheat and say that it was rivalry in history because i think to me that's such a major part of what a soccer club is is the ability to be long be around long enough and do good things long enough because, well, I don't think I actually mentioned this earlier, but even even in, like, the semi-modern Sounders days, which was between, like, 94 and, like, 2008 when they went to the MLS, they were actually winning championships in the second and yeah. third division. So, you know, they were still winning and, and doing that. So all of that still kind of counts as their history. Yeah. And to me, that's what is most important. But I actually, putting it all together, I think that one of these things being missing, I actually don't think it would have been as successful as it was. Yeah. Because... In a weird way, I actually don't think Atlanta would have happened yeah. the way it did if it weren't for Seattle. Oh, absolutely. Because prior to Seattle coming in, the idea was, what, like you said, soccer was for girls and kids. It wasn't a man's sport. It wasn't something you'd watch. It wasn't anything like that. And so 
Seattle actually had the ability to change that through what they did because, but it's like almost ironic. The only reason it really, really worked was from the culture aspect of people going against the grain. But then that helps turn people onto the sport. Well, we've seen that even with with things like fashion, right? Hipsters, I think we think hipsters, I mean, it's not rude to say that I think Portland and Seattle were kind of like, that's what you think of as the the founders of being a hipster. Um, So we see this in other elements of things that when you go against the grain, it actually ends up making things mainstream. And we've seen this with soccer fashion now that that's become uh, going against the grain and now become high fashion and showing up in other places. So they, I, I wouldn't, I mean, maybe Portland would talk some shit if we said that they were, that Seattle was the, the trailblazer for this kind of movement to, to make soccer popular in the U.S. But, I mean, I, I think if they're not getting all the credit, they should be getting 80% of it. Right. But it's something that's very interesting to think about is, like, why hasn't soccer been like this in other areas? And it, it's kind of cool to think that Seattle is kind of what's starting to change that movement. Right. Or has changed that movement because right. they have been around for a little while. Um, I, I think another part of just of Seattle culture, but I think what the U.S. what U.S. culture often doesn't get really no, any fame for is there are now these, these cultures of really strong supporters that are building up for clubs these ultras but there isn't that violence behind um ultras from other world other places in the world so i think that's something that um it's kind of off topic but that this seattle does really well and it's it's kind of we've seen that they have subcultures within their supporters group that are um anti-racism anti you know home being a homophobe which is amazing because in other places in the world, you're an ultra. It's kind of it means one thing, right? It means a very it has a pretty dark connotation to it. Yeah. And I think what Seattle does really well, and and we're seeing now in in, I mean, smaller league, smaller teams like Detroit City and uh, even Atlanta, you're, you're seeing the the flags with the rainbow, and you're seeing things that are propagating not only support for the club but support for just general human life, and um, it makes for an all inclusiveness that. I don't see in any other sport. I actually think that's a huge point because, you know, for certain clubs in Europe, you might all like you might love your club to the point where you want to like express it in any way possible. But sometimes you might look at a club and be like, I want to be an ultra, but I don't want to fight anybody. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be exactly. in that. I don't want to get dirty. Right. No, what I was seeing it, and the reason I did even came to mind, I, saw, I recently saw something of a um, fan in Brazil who was he was a gay fan at a, at a Palmeiras game and at the his own fans were chanting like anti-gay slurs and he he tweeted out like something and was like well I'm a gay guy and I'm here hearing these slurs and he got into this whole backlash with fans blah 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 but when you when you're cultivating a culture that is including everyone including the, the people from all ethnicities all realms of the world uh, whatever they may be it makes her it makes for that really good feeling and and, and kind of ties people together and we've seen that with Atlanta um, and other clubs across the country but I think that Seattle um, deserves a lot of credit for that because from from everything we've seen and done research on they 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 do an amazing job at it and they were kind of kind of the first ones to to be doing that so I think that that's something that should be looked at as well without a doubt my one thing would just I, I believe the history of it probably makes it the most yeah. important you think so I think so just because I feel like a fan can really attach to something that's rich in history as opposed to being a brand new thing. I yeah. mean, obviously the outliers have been shown with right. Atlanta last year, you but these, yeah. I think the fans, the diehard fans you can see have stayed there the longest. Sure. 
I think, and it's it's we see that with clubs nowadays that that are in the U, the USLs, the Nassals, and then they fold, and then you lose the fan bases that were there. Um, so I, I do think that I mean obviously all these things yeah. play a role, but I mean it, that's my hundred percent. I think history history. I mean, you have the same club, same name, same same. This people are gonna well, so he, remember the, the name. Yeah. The big like contradictory point is like when someone listens to this, and I was I was actually about to ask you guys like, what do you think other teams could learn from this? But then I realized that I don't want the other teams necessarily to learn anything from this because I don't want the revs to try and force. Fan culture. I don't want the fa- I don't want the revs to try and force a rivalry. Like, how bad would it be if like the revs came out and was like, yeah, you know what? Now we're gonna be rivals with uh, Toronto. We just yeah. decided that yeah. we are gonna have the super bitter rivalry with these two clubs. It's not gonna work. I will say this. I I don't know if this would be forcing culture if all f- clubs started doing the, started practicing in offering parts of ownership to fans. I think that that's a really smart move in getting people involved in be- becoming. It, I I think that yes, you can say now, oh yeah, they're copying other clubs. But honestly, when you get someone, in, I mean, think about it just from a financial standpoint. If you're investing time and you're investing things, and I'm I'm saying, oh, I own part of this club, I'm gonna do things to make sure that this this team succeeds from whatever vantage point I have. So if I'm the fan and I own part of the um, New England Revolution, I'm going to go to the games. I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to yell, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that, that, that the Reds are getting the best out of me as a fan. Which is actually not unheard of in American sports. If anybody knows this, the Green Bay Packers are 100% owned by fans. Oh, really? Which is the reason why the Green Bay Packers have a 200, or I'm sorry, it's like a 100-year-long wait list for season tickets. Yeah, you can't get season tickets. You People are born <laughs> around Green Bay, and they, like, they, as soon as the, the baby's born, they'll put the baby's name yeah. on the wait list. Yeah. No because way. They, the wait list that. is that long. Yeah, it's that's like insane. Stupid. It's like, you're basically, you can't get a season And season. Packers, that's some cold yeah. weather. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one wants to watch a sports game in Green Bay. And like, they're not even and, spectacular. And think about it. Yeah, I mean, even um, no, the, the Seahawks, the Seahawks implemented the, the Sounders rule. Now, the fan zone part of the Seahawks. Which, if you didn't know, the owner of the Seahawks is actually a minority owner in the Sounders. Right. But he only took this idea once, once Drew Carey, I believe, actually forced them to right. adopt it. And right. then he goes, ooh, very interesting. Yeah. We're going to put that over here on the Seahawks, right. too. Thanks, Drew. Right. So, and think about it. I mean, these clubs, I think that they would not be... They would not be taking a wrong step in just offering that as so, as a possibility. I actually don't think it would even have to like it could go to the ownership. I actually love that idea, but even just giving the fans a voice right. because I think that ownership isn't just monetary. I think ownership is also what you feel is yours. You know, yeah. by giving your fans a voice that allows them ownership without necessarily giving them money because right. you do have to run your make club. sure that their their opinions are heard and new actions are being taken based off of what they're saying. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's another completely viable. Yeah, make make the fans feel like they are more than just fans. That they are actually a part of the club. I think that that point right there is the one thing that I think that Seattle has done much different, you know, than a lot of clubs. And I think that made all the difference. Aside right. from all the history, which is really awesome. Aside from you know the cultural aspects of it, but the fact that they were able to look at their fans and go, you know, what? you guys are this club. Right. We just run it. Right. It's like that's important. I think that distinction would be the only thing I'd want to have be adopted across the board. Yeah. Because that's really the reason we started the podcast is culture. It's about soccer culture. There is no soccer culture if it's forced or if it becomes, you know, it might be, it might still have some semblance, but it won't be as 
deep or as important right. if it felt forced. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that is a good place to stop unless you guys have anything you'd like to throw in in terms of opinions about this. Or no, I think that covers a lot of, a lot of it. Build it and they will come. <laughs> uh, yes. So if you're a Seattle Sounders fan out there and you've listened to this podcast, thank you so much for doing that. But if we missed anything or if there's another reason that you think could actually we should have discussed or was actually another really big reason, please feel free to reach out to us. You can email us or actually comment on the video on Facebook or YouTube. If there's anything you think that we should have covered, please let us know. If you guys have any suggestions for another city you'd like or another team that you'd like us to cover, please comment that as well. I think this was a cool episode. I really enjoyed doing this one. and Yeah. That was cool. We'd love to come out there sometime soon and, and experience that firsthand. Yeah. For sure. Man, I would love to go to a game between Seattle and Portland. I heard that that one's legit crazy. Yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, all the videos I've seen have been pretty wild. So yeah. House Essen will come. <laughs> yeah, House Essen will come. <laughs> yeah. But all right, guys. And there we have it. Another fantastic episode in the books. I really enjoyed this episode personally because I hadn't really known too much about the Seattle Sounders uh, prior to this episode. Their rich cultural history and just the sheer... The sheer faith they put in their fan base really astounds me, and I am excited to follow them as well this uh, upcoming MLS season. So if you're used to listening to us on your favorite podcast app whilst giving us a five-star review, we also make YouTube videos. You can check us out on our weekly basis. We're great. We're fun to watch and, you know, kind of get a little personal taste to it all. And as you will see, the link will be in the description. And we hope that you will join us next week. Thanks again, guys.